This is Marcus Tonio, and you're now tuned in to Left Coast Pirates. Continue rocking with us, and I'm out. Peace. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes! The world takes! Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you today? Doing good, Tommy. Super excited this afternoon, aren't you? Michael, I am 13 years old again, and I'm walking in the Walsh Gymnasium for the first time. I am super ecstatic, and I'm ready for this. Don't, don't go into this interview and be a fanboy. Come on, keep it together. I am keep a fanboy first, a fanboy last. I don't care, Michael. I am super but excited about our guest today. We have had a ton of really fun guests over the summer so far. We've had some big names, Jerry Walker, Shaheen Holloway, Lavelle Sanders. I don't, I don't want to sell anybody short. But when it comes to big names, when you go back into the history of Seton Hall basketball and find out like what kind of players put their stamp on the program, it doesn't get any more important than what this guy did. Mark Bryant put the flag in the ground for Seton Hall relative to you know the recognition of the program being on the map. He got them to their first NCAA tournament. He made them relevant. He probably catapulted them to where they ended up going the following year, which was all the way to the NCAA title game. And to be able to have him on, like you said, he was probably one of your favorite players growing up. I guarantee he was probably a favorite player of a lot of fans throughout the footprint of Seton Hall. Mike, he's he's recruit number zero in the current success of Seton Hall. Without him, PJ might have been gone after the season. This is big time, in my opinion. Absolutely. I, I just wonder if Mark knows how big he was and how relevant he was for where the program was at that time and for where the program is to this day. I, I know Seton Hall had a, a little bit of a lull. You know, when we talk about for the younger fan base, what Isaiah Whitehead was able to accomplish as a big time recruit rebirthing the program getting them back onto the national stage if if the younger fan base wanted to kind of make a comparison Mark Bryant to Isaiah Whitehead they both had a very similar impact on elevating the program to where they got in those successful runs that they ended up having I just hope I could get through the tail of the tape without losing my breath Mike but let's see what I could do he was arguably the most pivotal recruit in program history. A first-team All-State selection that led Maplewood's own Columbia High School to the Group 4 Section Finals. He eventually was admitted to the Columbia High School Hall of Fame in 1996. Went on to play at the Hall, a two-time Big East selection, three-time All-Met honoree, and the 1988 Haggerty Award winner. Part of the Seton Hall's first NCAA tournament team 
team in 1988 and was inducted to the Seton Hall Hall of Fame in 1997. First round draft pick chosen 21st overall by the Portland Trailblazers. He played 15 seasons in the NBA appearing in two finals. Since 2004 he's served as assistant coach for four different franchises and is currently on Monty Williams staff with the Phoenix Suns. Welcome to Left Coast Pirates Live. Pirate great Mark Bryant. Mark how are you today? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Hey congrats on the new position. Thank you very so, much. Looking forward to it. Uh, how's it been going so far with the new organization since you've been reunited with Monty Williams? Um, so far so far so good. Uh, the guys are, 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 are coming in. Uh, they're playing some pickup basketball and we're doing a couple of drills with them and uh, the guys look good. They seem like they're excited, uh, looking forward to the upcoming season and I'm looking forward to it also. So as Mike mentioned, you're actually reuniting with Coach Williams who you spent the season with at OKC. What drew you to this staff in Phoenix? Well, you know, me and, uh, me and Monty played together in, in Philly. You know, he actually wanted me to come to New Orleans when he started. But, uh, you know, Oklahoma didn't let me go. And um, he came to Oklahoma. You know, we got reacquainted again. And uh, and he brought me on with him. Uh, he's an unbelievable coach. Uh, I look forward to, to, to working with him. And our staff is, is, is unbelievable. We have some nice uh, young coaches. And we're all looking forward to uh, this year coming up. Mark, did you ever think when you were playing high school ball back in the day that at some point in the future you'd be embarking on the beginning of your 16th season as an NBA coach? No, I did not. I actually thought I was going to play uh, pro football. You know, pro football was my first love, you know, and I and I ended up playing basketball, and, uh, and it worked out for me. I played 15 years, and now I'm into coaching, so it's been a good road for me. Now, Mike brought it up, and I would be remiss if we didn't ask some questions about my hometown's high school, Columbia High School. Mark... You were a beast back in high school. Over 1,200 points, almost 1,000 rebounds, and you blocked 139 shots during your time at Columbia. You led the team to a group four section finals and you were even first team all state. Columbia back in the day wasn't a basketball powerhouse. It was better known for soccer and even as the birthplace of ultimate Frisbee of, of all things. How did the community mm -hmm. take to your teams and your success? Uh, first of all, that team, we played together in eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, like like we played together for a while. So we all are very comfortable with one another. Like, and that's when the whole community, they, they really looked out for us, you know. We, Jeff Kelly, Owen Kelly, my cousin Eric Dines, we played together for a long time. So all it was was just uh, friends coming together to play and having fun. Uh, I think the community really looked out for us. They would send us everywhere to play, to play basketball, and we had a great time doing it uh, during my high school years. Those are some big numbers that kind of Tom called out there for your high school career. Besides Seton mm -hmm. Hall, who else was recruiting you back in the day? Wow. Boy, uh... Uh, Maryland. I went on a Maryland trip. I went on an Ohio State trip. I went to I went to St. John's to look at it. Uh, so some quality schools, uh, University of Virginia, uh, quality schools, a lot of ACC schools, most of the Big East schools. I had a good senior year. You know, it was fun. You know, all the guys that I played with went Division One somewhere doing something. You know, playing football, baseball. But we had a we had a real good time playing. So now we found an interview where you were quoted as saying the beginning of your senior season in high school, there was no way in the world that you were going to Seton Hall. <laughs> so if that's the case, 
<laughs> what were the magic words that PJ used to get you to stay home? <laughs> You know what? You're absolutely right. There's no way I'm, I'm staying home. I'm going somewhere, going somewhere. But uh, the more I played my senior year, my parents came to every single game. And I felt that if I if I went away, they wouldn't get that opportunity. So that was my biggest that was my biggest choice, uh, you know, to help them out, staying home and watch me play. And I also looked on the roster and I seen like a couple of those guys were seniors, like in their last year, and I felt that I would have had a good chance to play right away. And that was another reason why I stayed home. It was later written though in an article by the Bergen Record that your commitment to the hall was PJ's first like breakthrough as a coach. Did you have any idea how important the decision that was gonna end up being for the history of the program? No, I did not. I, I, I really didn't. I, I, I was going there. I was a young, I was a young kid. First of all, I used to sneak in there to play. Like I would walk <laughs> up to the school and sneak in there to play basketball against the college guys, and um, and they would let me play. And uh, you know, I never saw PJ there, but the guys would just let me play. But I had no. I had no no thoughts of how this would impact uh, Seton Hall. I had no uh, no thoughts of it. I just wanted to play Big East basketball. Well, your freshman year, you did really well. You averaged 12 and 7, but the team was still a little unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. PJ seemed to be in, in full PJ mode already. Uh, we, we read mm-hmm. somewhere where he said he rode you all the time, and you thought your name was, hey, hey, what the heck, double uh, O, and that's all you heard all the time. It wasn't what the heck. It wasn't what the heck. <laughs> was PJ just being extra tough on you because you were his prized recruit, or was that just PJ being PJ? You know, I, I, I thought uh, that was PJ being PJ because he was hard on everybody. He was hard on everybody, and you're right. I thought my name was what the bleep bleep. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I, I enjoyed my time there. I really enjoyed it. I got I got coached. I got coached hard. When I came there, we had uh, uh, Martin Sally came. You know, I think it was Merton Cena was up in there. So we had some very good uh, young guys that, uh, that 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 came when I when I uh, joined the team. And I think we grew. We grew together. We grew to become young men. And I think that's what that's what we stuck together and we grew to become young men. We just got better and better as the years went on. Well, you guys were young men, but the Big East at that time was was pretty robust. I mean, that was probably you know one of the peak Oof. times of the Big East. They had some legends that were seniors in your freshman year. We're talking about Patrick Ewing. Pinchney, uh, Pearl Washington, Chris Mullins, yeah. just to name a few. I mean, what was it like to go up against some of those guys? It was unbelievable. I, I remember my, my freshman year and Syracuse came to the came to the Walsh gym, that little gym. <laughs> and uh and, and and the Pearl, you know, Pearl Washington, he came into the into the gym with like a diamond Pac-Man necklace on. I was like, whoa, look at this. And uh, it was it was a great, great experience. I mean, one time I, uh, we were playing against Georgetown and I got a rebound over Patrick Ewing and I threw a pump fake, all right? And I went up to shoot it. And I was so nervous and so scared, I threw the, I threw the ball over the basket. <laughs> You know, <laughs> to it over the best, but but it was it was it was a great time. You know, it was a, it was a great time. Just uh, just playing against great players. You know, two Hall of Fame players. You know, Big East was unbelievable back then. 
unbelievable. Now, over the next couple years, your game grew and the team seemed to take baby steps toward uh, success. You know, the sophomore year was still a little rough record-wise, but your junior year, you finally made a postseason tournament when you made the NIT. What were some of the reasons why you guys were making those baby step improvements? We 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 were a family. Uh, I really thought we were a family uh, that really stuck together. We fought together. We ate together. We lived together. We played together. We were on the track working together. I just, we just all wanted the best for one another. You know, Martin Shelley was growing up. Daryl Walker, John Morton, Gerald Green. All these guys just we just came together and just started getting better, better, better. And uh, you're right. We just started taking baby steps. Junior year, we just started growing. And then my senior year, we had a pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good season. But we just, we just grew together as a unit. You know, we really played and stuck together as a family. So, so here's a question that I have, Mark. Tom's alluding to the fact that it was baby steps, but if you kind of look at those three seasons record-wise just in the Big East, unfortunately the team was only 8-40 and 40 over those three seasons. And so obviously you guys knew that you were progressing to something bigger and better. Now here's my question. How important was it to win a game at Georgetown by 21 points in your junior season? Like what kind of foundation and confidence did that – that, that win built for the team. <laughs> I, rem- I, I, I remember that game. I, I definitely remember that game. And I was playing terrible <laughs> up to the point of that game. I was playing awful up to the point of that game. And it just seemed like everything just started clicking, clicking there. It just started clicking right there. And I just think we just we just came together. That was a big uh, ego boost for us. Our chest was sticking out on campus. Our chest was sticking out on campus, and I think that just started started things for us. They were at eighth in the country at that time. I don't think you guys, in those first three seasons, had beaten a top 25 opponent other than that game. So, I mean, it, it had to be the foundation. It just had to be. Yes, yes, it, it definitely had to be. In PG, say, you know, you see, you guys are good. All we got to do is just keep playing hard, keep playing the right way. And things will get better, uh, get better for us, you know. So we were definitely excited about that win. Now you mentioned you had some success in your seasons, senior season, and I've mentioned on the podcast that's when I walked into Walsh as a 13-year-old kid one night against Iona, and I saw this scowling beast of a center just take over that game and beat people down. And you had your best season that year, and you finished first team all Big East, along with the likes of Charles Smith, D.C., Derek Coleman, Sherman Douglas, and Dana Barrows. What was it like to be honored amongst that group? It was a, it was a, it was a great honor, because those, those are the guys, like, we, we, you, know, like you said, we... we we struggled. See, the hall struggled. So I was always fighting to be just as good as those guys. You know, so every time, you know, we would play play those guys, I'm trying to prove to everybody in the country that I'm just as good, if not better, than these guys. You know, so, so every time we played against them, we all, we all, our, our play increased to another level. You know, and, it, and it, was, it was my senior year. I just felt that it just all came together for me. It all came together for me as, as the team grew, grew together. Gerald Green, if it wasn't for Gerald Green, I wouldn't be where I am right now. That's my, that's my honest thoughts. If it wasn't for Gerald Green, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Well, if you're just looking at the numbers, I don't think you had anything you needed to prove. I mean, second in the Big East in scoring that year at 20 and a half per game. You were first in the Big East in field goals made and free throws made. You were fourth in the Big East in rebounding and over nine a game. 
I mean, did you think you were going to have that type of statistical success in that year after where you had been the, the three years prior? I knew I was I was getting better. The game had started to slow down for me, and I felt comfortable, more comfortable playing, and I was getting stronger. I think the biggest things that motivated me is because all you heard was Charles Smith, Ronnie Cycli. <laughs> you know, those, that I think that probably what really drove me crazy. And I think that made me work even harder. Now, Biggie's play that season started off kind of the old-fashioned way. We started off two and six that season. But you went on a streak mm-hmm. of seven out of eight. Was there anything in particular mm-hmm. that you can point to as the reason for the turnaround? Yeah, I think I think PJ just kept on us. He just worked us. He just kept working us and kept working us, and we just got better. I mean, I mean, we just started. We we we, we kept that that five together, and we just got better. And then we added some more pieces: uh, Michael Cooper, Nick Cassikas. You know, all these guys, all these young guys, started getting better, and uh, and, and we just started just coming into a good flow about our game. We just continue to just keep playing and just keep pushing and just keep getting better in practice. And as the games come on, we just kept getting more and more confident. But, but during that streak, it's not like you were beating cupcakes or the bottom feeders of the Big East. I mean, you beat Pittsburgh twice during that stretch, who was ranked in the top ten, which, you know, mm-hmm. as we mentioned before, had Charles Smith, Big East player of the year. It had uh, send mm-hmm. it in Jerome Lane. And I thought I found this funny when I was looking it up. They had a freshman point guard named Sean Miller, of all people. It just, it just clicked for us, I just felt. It just, it just really clicked for us. And I think it, uh, it started doing that that Georgetown and just things just started to roll for us. So like I say, you know, I think when I when I decided to come to, to Seton Hall, we started getting a lot of blue chip players from New York, you know, different players from New York and, and that helped us grow as a basketball team at Seton Hall. So the team goes on this streak, you finish the big E season strong, you make the NCAA first round for the first time in I think the program's history and you guys beat mm-hmm. UTEP eighty to sixty four you have a monster mm-hmm. game, 30 points, 12 boards, 13 of 18 from the floor. What I found was interesting was on the opposing team was a, was a guy named Tim Hardaway, and he was nicknamed mm-hmm. Mr. UTEP Two-Step. And you guys held him mm-hmm. up only 12 points in the game. What was mm-hmm. the game plan to slow down Hardaway? Put Gerald Green on him. <laughs> Put Gerald Green on him. Did his job. And then after Gerald Green, John Morton. You know what I'm saying? Then we had Pookie Wigginton. You know, we just had people to throw at them all the time. That's what our game. We had people to throw at them all the time, and they were kind of they they were their biggest man was probably about about six eight and a uh, hundred pounds wet. <laughs> so we, we you know <laughs> we were the Big East. We, we were coming and beating up people, getting rebounds. You know, trying to intimidate people. And I thought we had a uh, I thought we played we played well that that game. So me me and Tim still talk about that. Uh, Talk about that today. And he was like, Yeah, man, I killed you guys. I said, No, you didn't. Like, no, you didn't. No, <laughs> Tim probably <laughs> thinks he can kill anybody at any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, No, he didn't. He said, We killed you guys. He said, Yeah, I don't remember all that. Yeah, I said, Yeah, I know you don't. <laughs> well, you know, prior to the Arizona game, you went on a serious run. You averaged 28 points and 13 rebounds over the previous six mm-hmm. games. Earlier in, in the year, we actually interviewed uh, 1989 team manager Clark Holly, and he mentioned that the run to the NCAA tournament game actually could be uh, pointed back to how you guys finished your senior season. He said that probably that last stretch of season, you were as good a player as there was in the country. So what allowed mm-hmm. you to elevate your game during that run? I think it's confidence. 
and the guys gave me confidence. I think that was the biggest thing about it all, just 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 confidence. Like I said, um, we were we were together for uh, most of us together were together for four years to three years, and I think it just started it just started flowing for us. I, but I think for me. It was just confidence, you know. I didn't, I didn't feel like I could, I could miss. I didn't feel like there was anybody on the court that could that could hold me. And the guys made me feel that way also. Like Gerald Green was like, "Hey, get down there. I'm gonna give you the ball. Get down there to give me the ball. You get the rebound and kick it to me and run. I give it to you." You know. And then we had John Morton on the team. You know, he played extremely well. We had Darrell Walker coming off the bench. He played well. We had Ramon Ramos. You know, we had some great. We had some good players on on that Seton Hall team. And then when I left, they've been playing together so long, it just really clicked. They, they always always joke about, you know, I said, when I left, I went, to the, went into the to the league. I said, you, uh, you guys started passing the ball now. I was just a black hole. But uh, it was good. And, and I also like to say, when we played Arizona, they got me in foul trouble so quick, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I didn't really get a chance to play in the game, really. No, that's that's exactly what I mean. Like I'm, I'm a little bit younger than than Tom here, so uh, that's what I read about the game is that you had three fouls in the first half. You only played seven minutes. Yeah, you, you had two fouls like really early when the team was only up ten seven. You come out of the game and Arizona goes on an eighteen to two run. But here's here's what I found interesting. During that eighteen to two run, PJ puts you back in the game, and they said someone said you could hear ten rows from behind the Pirates bench. Mark, no dumb fouls. We can't afford it. And then as soon as you get put back in. There's a little, little up and under under the basket, and you quickly picked up that third foul. I, I went back, back and watched the ball game. The kind of uh, offensive player threw his body into you. He tried to kind of pretend like he took the charge. All of a sudden, they gave mm-hmm. you the call, and it felt like that was mm-hmm. that was the end of the game right there. Uh, yeah, I, I, I never got a chance to play in that game. I always felt that I never got a chance to play in that game. And that's still, I was like, man, that, I was playing soft basketball out there in uh, L.A. back then. Yeah, we're Big East, man. We're, they, they, they still do, Mark. They still do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Give us a chance up in here. I remember that to this day, man. I remember that. Look, I, I, I know the final score was 84 to 55. But in your mind, do you think the game plays out differently if you don't get into foul trouble? I definitely feel that way. I, def- I, I definitely feel that way. Yes. I mean, because yeah, this, this, was, this was no, this was, this was a pretty damn good Arizona team. I mean, they were number one. Those are, mm-hmm. right, Steve Kerr, Sean Elliott, Tom mm-hmm. Tolbert, mm-hmm. Anthony Cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, here's, another, here's another funny name that I saw. There was a junior backup point guard named Kenny Lofton from the Atlanta Braves. He was, he was playing backup point on that team. I mean, that was a, that was a pretty deep team. Yeah, but I, I, I thought we were good. I thought we were good. Okay. I thought I. Uh, I messed up. I messed up flow. I'm not saying that we would have won, but uh, I know the score wouldn't have been that. I know the score wouldn't have been that if they if they would have let me play. I know that for a fact. I know that. But that Arizona team doesn't go on to kind of make it to the final four. You kind of mentioned that you thought they played some soft basketball. So even with all those talented names, you just don't think they were really a deep enough team or a strong enough team to be a one team, in your opinion? No, I just felt that the talent that we had, the talent that we had, we were capable of going further than what we did. But I also feel that Arizona was a very good team. It just didn't it just didn't work out for them. It just didn't work out for them. Because they had some talent on that team. I remember that. And I was ready for that. And maybe I was too hyped for it. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I was too hyped for it. But they had some talent. They were capable of going to the final four. You graduate and the team the following season makes it to the NCAA title game. 
What were your feelings? Was it a little bittersweet, or were you excited for the guys? I was very excited for the guys. I, I went to the game. I was in Portland. Me and, my, me and my wife went to that game. We went to the game. We went to the game. I, I still remember that, that horrible foul that they called on, uh, uh, I want to say, uh, Gerald, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. There was no foul, I tell you. <laughs> you want to you talk about soft. That, that's as far as it gets right there. That was unbelievable. I was like, are you serious? But I was happy for the guys. I was happy for the guys. I went, you know, after the game, went down there and, you know, talked to, talked to most of them. But I, I was definitely happy for, you know, it all came together from that my junior year to senior year to these guys the last Last year, it all came together, and it, and, and it was it was it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch. I wish we were able to win, but it, it, it was it was a great game to watch. It was a good game. So, Mark, most of the guys that we've interviewed on the podcast so far have transitioned uh, to their professional career, like typically through the European route. But conversely, you've had one of the most more established NBA careers of anybody who wore pirate blue. So, what kind of accomplishment was it for you to get drafted? In the first round, 21st overall by the Portland Trailblazers. It was a great day for me. I always joked to, to a couple of guys that went ahead of me. I said, man, if you guys like the Rod Stricklands and the Rex Chapmans, man, if you guys would have stayed in school, I probably would have went higher <laughs> than 21. You know what I'm saying? But I, but I, it was it was a blessing. It was definitely a blessing. You know, I went to Portland. You know, even that was like. I've ne- it felt like I was in a different country, you know, you know, not not leaving you know, Jersey too much, then go to Portland. But I I enjoyed every minute of it. I have great friends out there still. I uh, played there for seven years, going to two championships. I think I think I, we didn't win, but the experience was unbelievable. I I would do it all over again. You went on to play 16 seasons in the NBA for 10 different teams. What do you attribute your longevity to? Uh, I knew I wasn't the best player on the court or on my team, so I fought tooth and nail. I worked hard. Like in the summertime, I would go, you know, two a day, sometimes even three a days. But I think my my determination, being in the league and trying to stay in the league, helped me to get uh, 15 years in the league. And uh, I always tell the young guys that I'm coaching now, it takes uh, it takes grit to stay in this in this league. You have to work to stay in this league. If you don't work to stay in the league, you're gonna be on the outside looking in. And I just felt that that's what helped me get through those 15 years. It's just the way I worked at it. You talked about making it to the NBA Finals with your experience with the Blazers. You got there twice, and you fell just short. So, But tell me more about those experiences. You, you had some pretty interesting run-ins. You had the Isaiah Thomas Pistons. You had the Michael Jordan Bulls. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about those experiences in the Finals. All right, first of all, being in the Finals is another level of basketball. It's another level of intensity. Like, you really have to lock in that every possession is important. Like everyone has to be locked into what they have to do. You know, if if you're not locked into what you have to do, you know, you're not winning. You getting, I'm talking about getting your rest, watching watching videos, getting yourself prepared mentally to play. It was another level that I'd never seen before in basketball. You know, playing against some of the greats, like you said, Isaiah, Joe Dumas, Rick Mahorn. I mean, I mean, Lambeer. All these guys were just so locked into the game. I think that uh, when we won that 
that first game in Detroit. And we're like, okay, let's finish it at the crib. He was all jumping and excited, but they weren't. <laughs> they weren't jumping and excited. They was like, okay, we got this. Let's just go one game at a time. As far as being an experience, it's an experience that I wish everybody in the world could get because it's, it's unbelievable and intensified. Well, specifically towards that 91-92 finals, I mean, that was a duel between Drexel and Jordan. I mean, they averaged 25 and 35 respectively during that finals. I mean, at the time, they were both considered the two best players in the NBA. And how intense was that matchup to watch the two of them go head-to-head in that series? I think sometimes you get caught up in just watching them, those two guys play. I had the chance to watch one of the greatest players ever on uh, during the finals just to watch how he uh, demands his teammates to do the right thing, how, how much defense that he played because he was a very good defender. And they just were so much in sync that uh, it was it's, it was hard to beat those guys. It was just so hard to beat that guys. And when he got on his run, we know that Gatorade commercial where he throws his hands up, and I was just like, hey, we in trouble, guys. <laughs> we in trouble, guys. <laughs> But those, 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 that that team was a pretty darn good team. You got Pippen, you got Jordan, you got the Grand, one of the Grand Brothers. I mean, that was that was Cartwright. You know, it, it, that was a very very good team. And um, I thought we were we were good, but I I didn't think uh, think we were ready to take take it to the next jump yet. You played for the Rockets in ninety five ninety six, and that team mm-hmm. had Olajuwon. It had had Clyde again. You had just joined them after they won back-to-back titles. How, how good was that team coming off the back-to-back titles, and why didn't they get back there again? Uh, I think injuries. Uh, Elijah Warren was hurt throughout the season. It didn't seem like we could get in a good a good flow. But I thought we had a very good team. But the injuries really hurt. Now you got to remember now those guys went to the finals twice. That's a lot of games being played, you know. So I think injuries injuries really really hurt us to get back to where we needed to get. Now, toward the end of your career, you had the experience of playing with some eventual Hall of Fame-type players. As a matter of fact, you had the chance to play with two future MVPs when you played with Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki. At the time, Mm -hmm. did you know that those two were going to become as good as they did? First of all, I knew Steve Nash was going to be a hell of a player when I was in Phoenix and he was rookie. I knew he was going to be a great guy. Kevin Johnson went down. And uh, we didn't skip a beat. Now, let me tell you a story, a story about it. like when we were when we were in uh, in preseason, like we would fly over to uh, we would go to Flagstaff and uh, we, we would have our preseason there. We would work out after we finished our two hour practice. You would see Steve Nash running on the track. So I knew he was going to be a, a damn good player. There were some times where he wouldn't play, and me and him would play one on one full court after the games in in the arena. So I knew he was going to be a great player. Dirk, you know, being seven foot and the way he sh- he shoots the ball, the way he could move, I knew he was going to be a great player. And he loved to play the game. Like him and Steve Nash would be when we were out in Dallas. They they come to the gym by themselves and he just get up shots after shots after shots. So I knew those guys were going to be great players. So you mentioned playing with Steve back in Phoenix. I mean, back in '96 to '98, those were probably some of the most productive. Uh, minutes or years you had in the NBA statistically, and you actually got to play under coach and former teammate Danny Ainge. Did you actually have a favorite coach that you played for throughout your entire career? I thought uh, Rick Adam was a good coach for me. 
But I thought Rudy T really, really let me let me play. He said, just go out there and play the way you're capable. I just need you to play hard. I think he helped me become the player that I that I was at the NBA. Cause he just said, go ahead and play and do and do your thing. Just play basketball. And I think he was a player's coach, and he was straight up with you. You know, he tell you when you're you're not doing well. He tell you when you're doing well. He tell you he'll tell you uh, when you're not going to play, when you're going to play. So I thought he was a very honest coach, and I and I loved playing for him. There was one other guy that I wanted to ask you about relative to guys you went up against as, as former teammates. So towards the very end, you got a chance to play with Tim Duncan on the Spurs during his first MVP season. So I, I got to assume you two matched up in practice since you're both forward. How difficult was it to guard him? Oh, man, we would have one-on-one uh, at the practices all the time. Tim was tough. Tim was a Mr. Fundamental Tim. You know, we would play one-on-one. David Robinson would play one-on-one. We all played them one-on-one just to learn from each other. You know, we would have great one-on-one games. Uh, Tim is an unbelievable guy that loves basketball. You know, most of the time, six, nine, six, ten guys really don't love the game. They just play because people say, oh, yeah, tall, play. But Tim loves to play the game. And I'll tell you a quick story about uh, my first time playing with Tim, right? It's probably his rookie year, and I was in Phoenix. Right, and I just heard all the hoopla about Tim. And I said to myself, I said, okay, I'm gonna see how tough this kid is, right? <laughs> so, so we're going, we're going up and down, and I threw a, a stumble at him real hard. I said, boom! He was like, ooh. He didn't say anything, right? But continued, but continued to play, and he just continued to destroy me. He just started. I said, okay, this kid got a chance to be great right here. This kid got a chance to be great. Because he, he didn't look for no, I mean, he didn't look for, you know, physicality, but he wasn't scared of it. And his fundamental, his the way his footwork was, to have touch, and to be 6'10", and have a touch like that, and have feet like that, I said, this kid's going to be pretty damn good. I don't think Tid said something for the first, like, 10 years in the NBA. I mean, he just went about yeah. his business playing his game, right? <laughs> yes, he did. He did, man. He did a good job doing whoever. Whoever worked with him, whatever big man coach worked with him, did an unbelievable job. Well, you played 15 seasons in the NBA. As impressively, you've been a coach in the NBA for 15 seasons since 2004 with your first stint at the Dallas Mavericks. You've been a coach mm-hmm. with the Mavericks, the Magic, the Supersonics, which some people might say, who? Yeah, which <laughs> turned into the OKC Thunder, and now finally mm-hmm. with uh, Phoenix Suns again. But mm-hmm. what we found mm-hmm. interesting is when you were with Seattle, you actually coached under PJ. What mm-hmm. was that like mm-hmm. to be a coach underneath them after playing for him? The man still cursing, cursing me out. <laughs> he's still, he's still what the bleep? cursing what me out. What the bleep? <laughs> yeah, what the bleep? What the bleep? <laughs> um, but uh, PJ threw me into the fire, like right away. Like as soon as I got the job, I didn't break down games. I always worked with players. And then I'll watch film and I'm telling them what they could do better, but I never really broke down games. So when I got to PJ, and he said, hey, okay, double O, this is what you got. You're going to break down games. I said, well, PJ, you know, I never, you know, broke down a game. Said, Don't worry about it. You'll get through with it. You'll be fine. I was like, what? <laughs> but, but luckily, you know, I had uh, Scott Brooks was on that, that, that coaching uh, team, and he helped me out a great deal. But it was interesting. But he, you know, he wasn't the same coach as he was in college. You know what I mean? Because you have to tone some of that down because you're dealing with, with men 
you know, but he still was stern. He still would, you know, go after somebody every now and then, but not the same guy that was in college. You know, so he grew. He definitely grew as a coach. I want to thank him because without him, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at also because he brought me to Seattle and I was with I went to Oklahoma for like 11 years. So well, that, and that's him, a time you know? I thought interesting, right? So if you're in Oklahoma yeah. City or Seattle for one year, then they moved to OKC. But while you're there for the 11 years, you were under three different coaching regimes. You have TJ, you mentioned Scotty mm-hmm. Brooks, and then Billy Donovan mm-hmm. came on. And normally what happens is when one coaching regime moves on or is let go, typically the entire staff kind of moves on with that coach or you know, they, just, they want a clean slate. But yet you're here over three different coaching changes, kind of what mm-hmm. what created that stability for you with the organization? Players. The players stuck up for me. There's no doubt okay. about it. The players. The players did it. In the organization, you know, they, they believed in what I did, but I think the players really stuck up for me. Because I remember Billy Donovan was like, you know what, man? Every player that I uh, that I talked to always asked about you and what, what you guys going to do with him and, and, and is he going to be here? Every player wanted you to stay. So I owe a lot to the players for uh, for speaking up for me. No, that's a high honor. I mean, you know, that's a testament yeah. to the kind of work that you put in when someone is going to mm. stick their neck out with a new coach and say, well, we want Mark here. That's, that's quite a high compliment. Yeah, yeah. But I, I had some great guys, good guys, and we worked hard. We worked hard. You know, every day we worked hard, and I feel like that's why we, we became the team that we did. You know, making it to the finals at, at a young age. At young ages, they were in, they were like in their 20s, probably 23, 24, and making it to the finals. And the only reason why I said that we uh, lost in the finals is because they were inexperienced. They were just inexperienced, like playing against Miami. So those guys really worked, worked hard, and, they, and we all worked hard as a, as a coaching staff together. So, Mark, any desire at this point in your career to become a head coach? I would love to become a head coach. You know, everybody says, you just got to be thrown in there. And I'm ready to be thrown in there. You know what I mean? You never can prepare to be a head coach. You just got to be up in it. And once you get up in it, you know, then you get your feet you get your feet wet, and then you get uh, uh, comfortable with it. But I definitely would like to be a head coach in this league before I, before I retire. And I would like to win me a championship. <laughs> well, let, right, well, so I, you know, well, want, Patrick Ewan had a, a similar situation where he was assistant coach for years, and he took a uh, he took a spot back at Georgetown. Would you consider a college mm-hmm. position to achieve that goal? Um, yes, I would. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn. I would definitely listen to it. You know, but it would have to be Seton Hall. There we go. It would have to be Seton Hall. <laughs> there we go. Coming back to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had DC Dog first. I couldn't. I couldn't go to anybody else. I'd be feeling like I'm a traitor. Like a traitor. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but I'm. But I'm. I'm definitely looking forward to being in that hot seat. At least one day. I just got to keep getting better. Just got to keep getting better as a coach and and learning as a coach. You learn every day. You know, if you don't learn, you're done. So I'm learning every day. So before we let our guests go, Mark, we always make them walk the plank. Five rapid-fire uh-huh. questions. We ask for five rapid-fire answers. No need to elaborate. Just give us the first thought that pops in your head. You ready? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, here it goes. Question number one. Most points you have scored in any game at any level? College, 38. Against, I want to say Villanova. 
Which team was your biggest arch rival? Seattle Supersonics when I played with Portland. Toughest road environment? There's a couple of those. San Antonio back in the day was a tough environment. And Utah was a tough environment. What about at the collegiate level? What was the toughest road environment in college? Syracuse. Never won. Never won. Well, my four years, man, my four years there. I don't think I ever won against Syracuse. <laughs> we have, we have covered this with with other players like Jerry Walker. Jerry takes a lot of pride in the fact that they finally broke that uh, broke that streak. Move, moving on here, toughest opposing player you ever played against? Hakeem Olajuwon. Last question: best SHU player you've ever seen play? Boy, this is a dude. I, I mean, <laughs> I think Joe. Uh, listen, I think Joe. Gerald Green and um, John Morton. Those are two guys that I was like, man, these guys. My, my first, my John Morton's first year, his first, his first year, we were playing pickup ball in in in, in the gym, and he dunked on me. I was, oh man, wow. this kid's gonna be all right. All right, Mark. Yeah. Bonus question: What's your prediction on how this year's Seton Hall team will finish out? I think they go to the tournament, and I think they go to the Elite Eight. Ooh, we'll take it. Mark Bryan, congratulations. You've walked the plank. So, Mark, thank you. That's a pretty bold prediction. We got we got a lot of people basically trying to like at least push for the Sweet 16. It's all about let's get to the second weekend. I, I think the Elite Eight would be quite an accomplishment for this group. I really Yes, do. yes. And I'll be in front of the TV no matter what game. <laughs> if we're playing, I'll be in front of the TV watching. Mark Bryan, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Left Coast Pirates Live. No problem, man. And listen, anytime you guys want to talk to me, give me, give me a call. Oh, we'll, we'll, put, we'll hold you to that, Mark. No, we won't worry about it. Okay. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcast, which include interviews with former players Marcus Toniel, Lavelle Sanders, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Deziri, and you have been listening to Left Coast Pirates. Thank <laughs> you.